Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Modern Idealist. Thank you to everyone out there who have been tuning into our podcast and connecting with us on social media platforms like LinkedIn and Instagram. Our handles are Modern Idealist Podcast. If you like our content so far, or if it's been providing you value in any way, keeping your day and your impact work going, make sure you follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or a review, and share this episode with your friends. You'll find, again, our social media handles in the description, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, my name is Valerie. And I'm Marin. And welcome to The Modern Idealist, a podcast for career-driven professionals looking to make an impact. Welcome everyone to episode 10 of Modern Idealist. What does it take to transition into a new career path, especially if you're interested in a sustainability career path? Can we really live a zero-waste life? What is it? What does it take to do it? And why should we even consider it? You know somebody who's done this? Our formidable guest speaker, Gala Anania, who we're talking to today. She's made the career transition into the climate impact space and has been advocating on moving towards a more zero-waste lifestyle. That's right. We're pumped to bring on Gala for this episode. And for a bit of background context, one of her collaborators recommended that I talk to her as someone who is living proof of what it means to be a climate advocate in everyday life. Gala helps companies decarbonize. She is currently working for a global sustainability consultancy and previously was at My Footprint, a carbon accounting startup bringing climate actions to SMEs. She holds a master's in sustainability management and innovation from Westminster Business School. In her past career life, she was a conference interpreter working mainly in finance and sustainability. She's espoused to the zero waste lifestyle for a few years. Also, she's lived in six different countries and speaks four languages. How awesome is that? Four languages fluently um, as a multilingual Person myself, I usually come across, I think, three is the most I've come across that people are able to have um, hold, be able to hold in their heads, really. So anyways, welcome, Gala. Very excited to have you on. And just on a personal note, we've spoken previously about our similar backgrounds between different cultures and different languages. Uh, you have a really diverse background yourself between different nationalities and those cultures. Before we hop into your climate life, would you like to tell us a little bit about um, that connection that we had on, you know, different cultures? Yeah. Hi. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I, I was born into a multilingual, multicultural environment with French mother, Italian father, who both lived in the U.S. for a long time, and it was it, it was an interesting position to be in, and and I've always felt that I was in between cultures, and and yeah, I, I guess it made me very curious as to you know how how other people think because it it just varies so much from one culture to the next. Absolutely, I, I res resonate with that. I mean, mm. I think when you when your own identity crosses these different cultures, that's when you're you're more prone to see things from a global perspective. And I think one of the big things of that would fall in the bucket would be climate and climate change. So I often think that people who understand multicultures understand or sort of have a, have a view on that as well. So that, I think that's quite interesting and in how um, that speaks to your 
your current passion in climate. Yeah, Gala, we're really curious about, um, you know, how you got into the zero waste lifestyle. I would love to talk about that. Um, could you explain a bit to us and some of our listeners who mightn't have come across this concept? What is it and what compelled you to do it? Of course. So zero waste is about reducing the waste that you produce as an individual. It's called zero waste, but the actual quantity doesn't really have to be zero or, or even almost zero because that's extremely hard to do. Uh, it's, it's more of an aspirational thing. But so the idea is really to do what you can to reduce the amount of waste that you generate and then you reuse and recycle as much as you can. And so th the way that I got into it is actually extremely vain because it all started out when I realized that shampoo for dry hair, I have very dry hair, most shampoo for dry hair contains a lot of alcohol and alcohol may be really great for the properties of the shampoo, but it really dries out your hair. And so apparently this sparked a whole existential crisis in me because <laughs> if something as this. innocent as shampoo was lying about its benefits to my hair, then what about the rest of the things that I bought, right? So I started questioning literally everything I was buying. And that was a great process because I started realizing that I was buying a lot of things that I thought I needed, that everybody else was buying, but actually I didn't really need them. They weren't necessarily good for me or for the environment and they were expensive. And it took time to like literally just actively go out and buy those things. And so Zero waste started for me as a minimalism thing of saving money and making my own life easier and, and, and saving time by just buying less stuff. And through that, it allowed me to reduce my waste. And when I decided to you know, actively reduce my waste, the, the waste prism was really useful to help me only buy things that I needed because a lot of things that come in plastic usually they have a whole marketing department behind them and things that need marketing aren't usually the things that we really need or that are, that are good for us. Mm. I love what you said about, you know, that it, it started off. I love that realness of you talk about it being a vain kind of introduction into this space and that you got so existential about it. I think both Valerie and I really understand that feeling of like, why are we doing these things or, you know, this, following this stream down the stream and then you sort of have this point where you're like this is bullshit it's funny um, that you, hmm. you say it's shampoo for you I just want to add that it was the toothbrush for me like oh. it's something so small and um, I love how sometimes that's what it takes to, that you know we have to think so big and it doesn't always have to be so big it's just it's so small actually in our daily lives yeah but, but at the same time it's it's like shampoo is something that we use, if not every day, at least, you know, several times a week. And we don't even see those things because they're so integral to our lives. And then we realize they're not exactly what we thought they were. So anyway, yeah, just very vain. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I walk through the supermarkets and I just think of how much we are um, um, 
forced, let's just say, to use these uh, fast-moving consumer goods that are uh, that, that are plastic. It's like there's, you know, there's slowly becoming a movement now of okay, let's refill and reuse plastic bottles, etc. But it's like okay, this is part of a what we need to do and we need to, you know, whether it's razor blades of like, okay, it runs out and you have to buy a whole new pack or you have to, you know, constantly upgrading everything, whole new plastic containers, etc. It's crazy the amount of things that we think we need, but really there's often a, a, a simple replacement that will do five things at the same time. Um, and, and realizing that honestly, it's just saved me so much time because if you go to the supermarket or, or the store and you, okay, we all, we all need food. So you buy your food. Um, if you're zero waste, you mostly just shop from the produce section, which really reduces the amount of time that you spend in the supermarket because there isn't that much um, area dedicated to, to produce. And then you need two, three other things. And it, it really like, aside from the fact that you're buying fewer things, so you're, you're it's saving a lot of money. You're just, you're saving so much time. That was really like, for me, that was a big realization. I just had so much more time for me, mm. which then I invested in um, cooking more for myself, for example, because, you know, in the produce section, things are not wrapped in plastic, but they're also not prepared. Yeah. They're not processed. And so I did have to do a bit more cooking, but honestly, the net effect of going zero waste has definitely been to save a lot of money and a lot of time. Mm. In general, how did your lifestyle change uh, more broadly? So you're cooking for yourself, you save money, you could have more of a minimalist or, you know, as you said, you're simplifying your life more. Could you give some uh, other examples of what you did? Um, so for me, it was, it was very much a process. Initially, things didn't change so much, but I really wanted to make sure that the things that I did do would stick. Uh, the very first thing that I did, and it's, I, th I think it's very funny now, but um, I was talking about how shampoo created this whole existential crisis. Um, I started washing my hair with eggs. I know there's an ick factor, but the whole like existential realization came from the fact that not only was my hair super clean, but also it was more beautiful than ever. And that was so important for me anyway. And so, yeah, I started just using fewer products. I started, um, you know, cause the eggs would replace like five different products that I had in my bathroom. Um, I started doing a little bit of DIY, but I, I, I tried to keep that to a minimum because, you know, my, my focus was just making my own life easier. So the one the, that has really stuck was the deodorants. Uh, I have a deodorant that I make myself that works better than anything I'll buy in a store. So that's nice. You know, cooking more, I think just generally the biggest change has been being more mindful about what I buy. Uh, and even today, so I'm, I'm no longer in, in the zero waste lifestyle, but every time that I'm going to buy something, I ask myself, do I really need this? Is it is it just something that I'm buying because it's automatic and it's easy? Uh, or like, would I rather have this thing and, and spend the time buying this? Or would I just rather get my time back? Um, and more often than not, I 
want my time back. So it's it's a really interesting process to go through. Hmm. And that's often the most important message in all of this. I mean, for our listeners, you know, who live in different parts of the world, the market, the supermarkets look different to them, depending on where you are. And, you know, the messages that we get sometimes online go fat, like they, they spread faster than the supplies available to us and to them. And so a lot of these challenges, at least I felt that I saw around challenging like ourselves to become more minimalistic and uh, closer to the zero waste life that shows up differently. And it can feel very demotivating for me uh, and and others I've spoken to when you can't be perfect about it. Um, if you if you felt the same way. Yeah, I, I personally never felt the need to be perfect because when I started doing this, it was in 2014 and it was very much an outlandish tree hugger thing to do. So I kind of, I felt very, I felt very pioneering. I don't know if I was right or, you know, just very egotistic of me to think that way, but I, I thought I was <laughs> already doing something that was out there. And so for me, what was important was sustaining my habits over a long time rather than have like as little waste as possible, but just do that for a month and then mm. go back to my normal. I truly think that we can have more of an impact when we sustain our habits in the long term, but in the long term, we can't be perfect. You know, life happens sometimes, you know, sometimes you're in a hurry and you, you're super hungry and there's nothing zero waste available. Well, you know what? Just go to the supermarket and buy something that's wrapped in plastic. It's it's not a big deal. Yeah. It's it's you know it's if you can if you can sustain habits in the long term and generally you try to vo- avoid those things, you're going to have a bigger impact on your waste than if you do zero waste perfectly for like two weeks. Right. Absolutely. And you know along the ways. Well, first off, it's really great to hear that you know you didn't feel that type of pressure. It's so admirable, you know, to see that you were just you felt like your own superhero that you were the pioneer in this case and you know i i know from my personal experience i felt challenged left and right it's like oh you do this but you know you're doing all of this these other types of minimalism um lifestyle things but at the same time you're flying home or doing like other forms of climate sins right like i'd like to think of it and for our listeners we also um talk a lot about trade-offs in general and i think we sort of recognize um, this tension and balance that we were discussing just now, that you can't be perfect, you just got to do your best and be mindful. Were there any interesting insights when it comes to trade-offs between, um, you know, that lifestyle? Uh, Just to give you an example, I remember in in Norway a couple of years ago, there was a big push to eat more vegetarian meals. But at the same time, what that meant for a lot of people was, an increase of avocados because that was also a growing trend. But as we understand now, avocados actually have a, a really dark side climate and responsible supply chains wise. So, uh, or d- even milk, is it dairy milk, almond milk, oat milk? So um, did you encounter anything like that? Again, because I didn't put pressure on myself to be perfect. I, I was really trying to do as, as, as well as I could. Mm. Um, and so again, like the most important for me was, was creating habits that were sustainable. Mm. Um, so if I, you know, if I bought something that wasn't great for the environment or or contained plastic, um, or, you know, I, I have 
family and and on another continent so you know sometimes i'll take a plane to go see them but you know that life happens um and i try not to beat myself up about it the important thing is being mindful like you said and 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 keeping up the good habits yeah and, and, absolutely but then the the interesting trade-off was about zero waste itself um and the reason I stopped zero waste was was actually because of a trade-off. So I mentioned I mentioned that zero waste was saving me some time, but the more you the deeper you go into it, you know, if you start making all of your things and then, you know, depending on where you live, it may start um, taking up more time. So I used to live in France where zero waste is actually pretty easy because few things are 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 packaged, but then I moved to the UK where there's a lot more plastic, so it's a lot harder. Um, anyway, it started taking up more time. And I spoke to a good friend of mine who told me something that really made me think, which was, yes, we have a ton of plastic in the ocean and it's really terrible, but we can live another 50 to 100 years with twice the amount of plastic in the ocean and we'll be fine. However, we won't live another 50 years with the amount of biodiversity loss that is happening. And that for me was a mind blowing moment. And, and I realized that he was absolutely right. And I don't want to downplay the importance of plastic. It's definitely a huge issue, but there are more urgent issues out there. And so I decided that I had to make a trade off. I was spending a bit more time on my zero waste lifestyle and I thought that it would be better for the environment, that it would have a better mm -hmm. impact if I used that time to focus on other things. Right. Know? And and Mara and I talk a lot about that as well. I mean, there are so many other levers that, you know, for our time use, there would be a lot more impact that we could create. If, if that's what you're alluding to as well, yeah. Uh, whether it's like businesses, large corporations, startups to government and this stuff like that. On that note, you know, we've touched on like what businesses could do, policies as well. The perspective of like the normal everyday person having been through this life, you said it was easier in France. Were there certain things that you saw that just made it easier? Was it like the culture? Like did people there just have more produce or was there some kind of policy that was there locally that just made it easy for, for you? Uh, there's there's so much to unpack here. Uh, first of all, France was the first country to introduce a, I, I believe, no plastic bags policy and definitely like a, a no single use cutlery policy. So I think policy definitely played a huge role in this. But before this happened, I think when I compare France to the UK, in the UK, people tend to be a lot more focused on efficiency at their jobs. People will often have lunch in front of their computer or just have a very quick lunch. In France, you take maybe an hour, maybe even an hour and a half to have like a real meal. It's a big meal, like it's an important meal. There's much less of a culture of immediacy and and and. Hmm, very and, interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot less packaged foods. And then also, I think just the way that we shop, people are more used to buying things in bulk and, and we go to, to markets to buy our produce. And it's just a different way of, of, of buying things. And one thing that I noticed is when 
the plastic issue started gaining traction, uh, at least in Paris where I was living at the time, within one year, all of the supermarkets in the city started having bulk bins. So basically things where you can buy things without waste. And and it, it happened so quickly. And that was also a moment for me where I realized, hey, as an individual, I made choices to reduce my waste and companies have heard this and they realize that they can make money from it and they've started giving us more choices and therefore people are starting to make more sustainable choices because you know what zero waste is more easy they have it more easily available to them so it's it's a full circle moment where your people consumers behaviors were able to influence what companies were doing and in turn influence what other consumers were doing so I, it was a really powerful moment for me mm, oh, i love that your state yeah, I just was reflecting on you. We talk a lot about um, this collective power of individuals. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, something that's this zero waste started out as a practicality type of thing to sort of caring about the environment. Uh, and then this conversation that you had with a friend of yours about the importance of biodiversity. Uh, I'm very interested to hear in terms of just talking about biodiversity more generally. So obviously we still want to do things to lower the impact because collectively it can make a difference and it puts the onus sort of back on business to make changes because this is what consumers want and want and yes they get to profit from it. But I would love you to just talk more about the biodiversity side of things. Yeah, um biodiversity is is so interesting. I, I think obviously climate change is a huge and, and urgent issue for uh, the future of humanity, and, and most of us have heard about it, but biodiversity and biodiversity loss is an equally urgent and equally dangerous um, issue. I mean, we're, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but we're, it's currently, we're currently in the sixth mass extinction, mm. um, where we're losing species as at a, at an extremely fast rate um, and generally speaking ecosystems are, are degrading and it's obviously it's terrible for the planet it's terrible for our ecosystems but from a more practical point of view if ecosystems can't sustain themselves we can't live you know, we mm. need we need water. We need we need life. We need soil to be able to uh, sort of replenish itself and 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 to, to, to grow food. To we need all these things. And um, and but the issue with biodiversity, unlike carbon and climate change, is it's it's so much more complex. With carbon, you know, you can you can have one metric, you know, just tons of of CO two, and and, and you can measure how you're doing with biodiversity. There's 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 hundreds and, and, and thousands of metrics that you could be looking at. So it's it's really complex, but it's also hugely important. And what I find really interesting is that the the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis go hand in hand. So we can't solve one without solving the other. So it's really something that that needs to be called attention to. Yeah, I, um, I've been reflecting a lot on um, the biodiversity side of things. I think, you know, many years ago I watched a TED talk on bees and I was profoundly struck by 
understanding the importance of cross-pollination and how that has an effect on everything. And I think there's a stat, it's like almost 70, there's been an almost 70% drop in, um, uh, I think it's like mammals, um, amphibians, reptiles, etc. since the 70s. So that is a really, really disturbing stat of the um, the unprecedented, uh, I guess, extinction rate. Um, I know in Australia we really focus on, or we we talk a lot about it because you know there's been all these native animals that have been sort of part of Australia's culture that we're really proud of. Like for example, the Tasmanian devil, which um, you know is going extinct. There's all these kinds of um, so I, I feel like we have some awareness of it. But I think it's interesting going back to what you said about, you know, if we continue to put plastic in the ocean for another, what did you say, 150, uh, the, continue putting plastic in at double the rate that we still have 150 years. Can you just clarify that? Yeah, so what my what my friend said was that we can live another 100 years with uh, twice the amount of, of plastic in, in the ocean, but not another 100 years with the rates of, of uh, biological loss or biodiversity loss that is going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with biodiversity, just as with climate change, there's sort of tipping points where everything seems normal and then you you get past a certain tipping point and things just collapse mm. and 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 very many ecosystems around the world are are near or past that point uh and similarly we're in the similar situation with with the climate so it's it's just i think for me this conversation was a way for me to realize that there are so many issues that we care about. Um, you can't, you can't do everything. You can't, you know, you're not going to save the world. For me, I've always been very passionate about climate change, and, and this has really opened my eyes to, well, to the, the issue of biodiversity, which is interesting in and of itself, and also because of its connection to climate change. Um, and it, it really sparked me to question my choices. Why was I doing zero waste? Why was I, you know, not doing more to, uh, to, to reduce climate change or just why was I making the choices that I was making and was I making the best possible choices for me? You know, all of these issues are very, very valid issues to be working on and, and, and everybody should be working on, on, on these things, but you can't do everything. And so I wanted to figure out which was the most important for me? What's my priority? But so I love that. that because... <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say mm. the same. Uh, and I mean, this goes to say, like, it, it makes sense in terms of like why this, you know, what you said was important because it brings perspective to what your 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 current fo your, your current focus at that time was, which was on zero waste lifestyle. But one, it gives perspective. But I think the other that's really interesting is that. It's a bit of like because biodiversity and climate change is so interlinked and sometimes they're a bit confusing for people on the outside as well, I think. And then you've got that that's also interlinked with even just um, privilege and diversity itself and yeah. how it's favoring certain areas. So I feel like 
people get overwhelmed by this kind of connectedness of issues. And it's, it's like, you know, we need to realize that uh, we cannot just, you know, we have technologies to suck carbon out of the air, but like the answer can't be like continue with the way of growth we have today and just suck all the carbon that we can uh, mm-hmm. because we can do such a thing. It, it's not enough because we need to recognize that there are other issues too. And therefore we, everything needs to be cared for and everything we need to sort of, you know, have our eyes in on so many different other topics, but at the same time, as one single person, you can't do that alone. I really liked, you know, how you brought that into perspective there. Well, I think the, the complexity issue cuts both ways, right? There's there's so much to think about, and you know what? Everything is interlinked. I mean, biodiversity and climate and and and, and plastic and and there's everything is really interlinked, and so you can choose to look at it as, oh my goodness, there's so much to deal with and there is so much to deal with. But at the same time, it also makes things really simple because if you, especially as a, as a person living in a rich country, if you manage to make changes and, and, and significantly reduce just your consumption, because honestly, a lot of our impact comes from just how much stuff we have and so, how much food we eat and how much food we waste. Food waste is a huge problem. It's 6% of, of global greenhouse gas emissions, total, most of which is, is avoidable. Um, so if you, if you make an effort, and I think especially as a consumer, just manage to consume less, you're having an impact on a huge amount of issues. And that's really empowering to my mind. Absolutely. You know, you've got the everything from ethics in the humanitarian side of, you know, the fashion industry, for example, to, um, you know, so like encompassing environment, then you've got the humanitarian, you've got um, also animal welfare, you've got, you know, how your own wallet is being affected. So there's so many uh, positive impacts just from, you know, making small changes in your life and reducing and being a bit more minimalist in the way you consume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this reminds me of an argument that I heard on on the internet, which I found really interesting. You know, there are all these um, sustainable fashion companies coming up. You you mentioned fashion. Um, And this, this girl was saying, um, I I believe it's, it's uh, Aja Barber. She was saying that, you know, you, you can buy all the sustainable dresses that you want, but actually your H&M dress might be a lot more sustainable than all your sustainable dresses if you bought it a long time ago. Mm. You know, a, a dress that you keep for a long time is, is more sustainable than five dresses that you've bought recently from a sustainable company. Mm. And there's so many metrics, like you talked about, in in um, everything that comes to you know, the way things are produced and how we consume, there's so many metrics. So maybe the material's sustainable, but, you know, the salaries are still low or maybe there's, you know, there's all these kinds of things that you have, to, I feel like you have to be a bit of a detective to figure out, um, you know, what the truth behind uh, different consumer products are. 
love hearing about your perspectives in terms of how to keep just being mindful uh, in our everyday life. And I just really want to move into, you know, talking about your journey as well, because a lot of our listeners want to explore staying sustainable and environmental. So in your, in your career transitioning journey, you know, from an interpreter to climate evangelist for carbon accounting startup to decarbonizing consulting, can you talk more about this journey and, you know, what sparked you to make this move? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I used to work as a conference interpreter and that was a job that I really loved and was fascinating. But I also wanted to have more of an impact because I always felt like I was sort of an outsider looking in. I, I wasn't, yeah, I, I felt like I wasn't having any personal impact through my work and that was important to me. And, and so I wanted more agency. And I had always been very passionate about climate change. And as an interpreter, I was lucky to work with a lot of key players in the climate change arena. And it gradually became clear to me that if we want change and if we want faster change, uh, we need to involve the private sector because at that point, a lot of the conversations were around how, you know, businesses weren't doing as as much as they could to protect the environment. And so I felt like there was a, a huge impact to be had there. And I decided to get involved and, and help companies reduce their environmental footprint. And so I went back to school to get a sustainability degree. And yeah, just completely changed my, my career trajectory. Um, and I think for me, the hardest part of that journey was just making the decision, you know, going from, I had, you know, I was an interpreter, I had this career, uh, which, which I actually genuinely loved. And then deciding to make that leap into something that I wasn't prepared for that I didn't know much. I mean, I, I didn't know things about it, but it was, it was not a career that I had planned and you know, I, I would have to start over, go back to school, and and that was that was very daunting. But at the same time, I had this purpose, and I knew what I wanted to get towards. And once I made that decision, say, okay, you know what, I I want to make a difference, and I, I want to make a difference by helping companies reduce their their carbon impact then things were very easy. But the, the I mean, obviously, you know, it took time and I had to go back to school and study and, and, and <laughs> yeah. but, how, but how the hardest part was the decision. How inspiring. You know, we talk a lot about personal trade-offs, like, you know, in, in this decision you made as well, it, it was out of a current job or a job that you liked back then. And it probably had given you some kind of financial stability and the trajectory as well versus compromising to go or compromising at the moment, as you see now, it might not be that, but versus making that jump to go into impact driven areas, you know, how did you do the checks or how, how do you continue to do the checks and balances for yourself to, you know, make sense and sustain this journey? Well, a lot of careful financial planning. Um, <laughs> and also, I, I mean, I, I do have to say that I was extremely lucky to have a family that was able to support me. And I I could not have done this without them. And I, I absolutely realized that I'm very privileged in, in that regard. And also, in a way, I got lucky because after I made that decision, COVID struck. And as an interpreter, in any case, I, like, I mean, 
the market just w was very um, difficult for a while. It's recovered now, but it, it was, let's just say it was a, a good time to take a year off. Yeah, like the so, events, no events were happening anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So mm. it ended up working out perfectly for me. Um, but yeah, from, from that standpoint, I was, I was extremely lucky and, and privileged. And then in, in terms of trade-offs, I really wanted to have an impact. And as I mentioned, this was the reason why I changed my career. Uh, and I really felt like where I could have most of an impact would be the private sector. And so I, I knew that at the end of the day, you know, financially it would, it would make sense for me because, I mean, the traditional impact areas like government or, or NGOs, I think those are actually really important, but they tend to pay less. But at the end of the day, if you're helping companies do something that will they think will make them money and also has an impact, I think it was it was definitely like I, I knew that it would end up making sense financially. So it was an investment. Mm, I like to um, use the analogy and I've been thinking I, I often have these sort of points of time in my life where I kind of I think of myself like an archer and I'm sort of drawing back the bow in order to shoot further faster so it sounds like with you know going back to studies and and you know obviously you said as you said you were really fortunate to have that support but you kind of drew back in order to sort of propel forward again um, because we when we uh, find that the topic of finances around this very important. And I agree with you that, you know, organizations that are um, NGOs or, you know, really doing this on the ground work that isn't in the private sector are absolutely integral. Um, but it's yes. very, very hard to um, do the checks and balances financially. And we talk about that struggle. So I like how you're saying that there are other options as well. So, if you have come from a corporate or more commercial environment, you can go into business and create shifts there um, and make a genuine difference without sort of starting from scratch again financially. So, yes, maybe there's a trade-off in terms of, okay, you're still in a commercial environment, uh, which isn't the same as, say, working in a, an NGO that's solely focused on this all the time, but I really believe um, for myself in being a commercial at mind and social at heart and where you can uh, make an impact in business, it just has a very huge broader context and a chain effect. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to take a completely unrealistic example, if, you know, you go zero waste, it's, uh, or if I go zero waste, it's going to have a different impact than if Greenpeace goes zero waste, which is also going to have a completely different impact than if Coca-Cola goes zero waste. Mm. So it's, you know, it's, it's all a question of scale. And, and at the end of the day, as consumers, our choices are dictated mostly by what companies offer us. And we talked about this before. There's, there's, there's a circle, there's a cycle, we're all connected, but, yeah, I, I just I wanted to make sure that companies could offer their customers options that helps them become more sustainable and also helps the company have less of an impact. So obviously it's very different work. I think I think NGOs are 
extremely important and, and you know, awareness about climate change and, and, and I mean, all the other uh, sustainability issues, we wouldn't have that awareness without them. But in terms of impact, I think it's, it's equally important to be working on the ground is to be working with companies that, that also have an influence on how we lead our lives and how sustainable our lives can be. Yeah, you know, it always comes back to this. Uh, I think this, the roles of businesses, government, individuals, Mary and I talk, uh, have been exploring this paradox a lot in our in our listeners, really, the paradox of the roles and responsibility of businesses, government and individuals. It seems like, you know, the light has really shined on all three of these in different ways today, calling for like everyone's action. And we talk a lot about how businesses, maybe it's, you know, our background, her and my background is in commercial and, and business strategies. So we've even focused more on how businesses should step up and really fulfill their responsibilities from heavy industry companies like energy and materials all the way down chain to consumer companies like we were also mentioning earlier, FMCG, these fast moving consumer good companies in retail and groceries. You know, some say it's more important to push you know, government or the business in this transition. Where do you stand and where do you think the people stand on all of this? We can absolutely make a difference. I think, you know, every part of society has a role to play, as you just mentioned, and things move forward the fastest when all three of them, so government, private sector, and civil society, uh, so individuals, uh, when all three of them move in the same direction. So, Government and companies are obviously extremely powerful, but at the end of the day, society, including governments and companies, are made up of people. They're made up of, of individuals. So I personally think that if you can influence people, maybe by leading by example, by just having conversations with people, you can make a big difference. And, and, and I think that to me is the key. I think a lot of people get rightly overwhelmed about what can we do to influence government? What can we do to influence companies? The problem is so much bigger than us. As we were saying earlier, there are so many issues to tackle and we can't tackle all of them. So I think the best thing we can do is do the best that we can in a certain area that we feel we can have a good impact and and push that as much as we can. And there'll be a butterfly effect. Maybe people will see what we're doing. You know, one of my favorite parts of, of Zero Waste was just when people would come to me and ask questions and be curious. You know, I thought people would think that, that I was weird and, you know, some people did, but a lot of people just came to me and asked questions. Oh, this is so cool. I'm going to try doing the same thing. Um, and, and, and they started questioning their own choices. And that to me is huge. That is so cool that you experienced that because it's funny. I went vegan for almost a year and I kid you not, um, one of my, uh, what was my ex-boyfriend's friends, he actually decided that he would go on an all meat diet because I was on a V and he literally searched (laughs) up the evidence to find an all meat diet and why it was somehow like better for you. And so, (laughs) I mean, that's an extreme case, but I love that um, you were in an environment where people approached it with curiosity uh, and didn't go in the opposite direction as a result. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you're expecting that. Like, uh, it's his friend, my... but you know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I think also I made a point not to make this an identity thing where like, oh, she's the zero waste girl. I didn't, I didn't want that because I, I think when people put you in boxes, they, they expect certain things. And then it's like when you say you're an environmentalist, you know, oh, you took a plane. Oh, you ate a piece of meat. Oh, and this and that. And, and, and there's no way that you can ever be perfect when you put yourself in that box. So I think if you, in this particular instance, if you avoid labeling yourself, actually have an opportunity to make more of an impact because you'll feel freer to make the choices that you need to make and, and, and not feel bound by a certain rule or code of conduct and really question what it is that you're doing. Does that make sense? I love that. I mean, I know pretty much in every area of my life, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And if I don't do things um, to the standard that I think I should adhere to, which is, you know, always a ridiculous one, I guess, in hindsight or in reflecting on this, um, the just not putting pressure on yourself. It's like there's a saying in Norwegian, it's like senkiskulira, which is like you can sink your shoulders back. I feel like sometimes I get like, oh, no, I'm not doing enough or I'm not, you know, but through the course of this, like one of the red threads is just saying like, yeah, I just did it and I didn't put pressure on myself. I'm not, uh, I don't have to be perfect. And I mean, I don't think anyone thinks they have to be perfect from just a logical sense, but we somehow, many of us still put that pressure on ourselves. So I'm really inspired by the fact that you just really took this pragmatic approach from the beginning. I, I feel like you just achieve so much more when you are you don't stress out about things. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, you know, with your background, having tried the zero waste life, and it's really all about this mindset, like you said now, um, to transitioning into the sustainable career path what's a piece of advice that you would want to leave us with well i'm actually going to give you two pieces of advice the first we'll take it <laughs> yeah yes please the first is please consider composting because it's it doesn't take much effort and it really does make a huge difference um and the second one is honestly Throughout my whole journey, the most important thing has always been about learning more. Um, you know, so just stay curious, find out about ways that you can make a difference, but do things that work for you. Like, like we've said several times at this point, there are so many ways to make a difference, but you can't do them all. So just, you know, explore and find what you're happy doing and do that. Go to town. That's Love amazing. It. You know, thanks for speaking to us, Gala. We really love your energy and all your reflections. There's just so much for us to ponder on and challenge ourselves on, question our own um, stance on things. Just curious, you know, coming back to the languages that you speak, would you like to leave us with two bits about or anything really in the different languages? Of Just course. I can tell you thank you, merci, grazie for having me. It's been super fun. I've loved having this conversation. Merci beaucoup. Beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you. Marin, could you outro us? Okay. Well, thank you again so much, Gala. I feel that this conversation has been so enriching. Really, really appreciate you being on the show. 
I was just thinking, you know, my key takeaways and insights and was definitely like make an impact where you can. If you're in the commercial space, do it there. If you're doing, you know, in, in terms of everyday lifestyle, just do little changes and think about this kind of as having a minimal impact life. So I guess that's two things, make change where you can and consider a minimal impact life in light of that. And then, as I said earlier, this whole don't put pressure on yourself. I love that. It's given me, I think, a very fresh motivation to just, you know, keep the fire burning and for it to be a long-term sustainable journey. So thank you. You rock. We've loved having you on here. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to hear that. I've really loved being on here and, and having this conversation. So thank you. Grazie. Merci. Thank you for listening to another episode of Modern Idealist. Again, if you've liked our content so far or if we're providing you value in any way, please make sure you follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or review, and share this episode with your friends. You'll find more contact information in the description. And if you resonated with this episode and want to share your thoughts with us or have a follow-up question for us, please leave us a message in the comments of this episode's post on our Instagram page or send us a voice message on anchor.fm slash modernidealist. idealist.